Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I'm Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our author today is Dr. Bob Spires, Assistant Professor of Education in the School of Professional and Continuing Studies. His research interests include international non-formal education through charities, nonprofits, and NGOs, as well as social justice-related issues impacting teacher training. Dr. Spires is the author of a recent article in the Youth Voice Journal entitled, Hong Kong Youth Identity and Self-Presentation in the New Territories, a qualitative study on letters from youth and teachers to an NGO internship program. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Well, I've always been interested in youth issues and um, particularly disadvantaged youth. And uh, I had the opportunity to work over several years in Hong Kong that addresses uh, disadvantaged youth uh, in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that they do that is through workshops and internships. Uh, and they target uh, more remote areas of Hong Kong, further from the sort of uh, big financial centers of the, of the middle of town. Um, and they provide uh, internships with uh, big companies and with, um, with, with people who are interested in being mentors. And so um, uh, all of these young people, as well as their teachers, write letters to the, the charity um, to, to express their interest in participating, to explain why they would uh, be interested in this and why they would be a good fit and what they hope to gain. Um, and through that, uh, through culling through the letters, um, I found it extremely interesting some of the patterns that I saw um, arising. Uh, for one, the young people uh, are coming from a very different sort of cultural uh, set of standards um, in a very working class neighborhood, uh, living in uh, public housing. Parents um, uh, are, are typically uh, low-skilled laborers, and, um, and then they are attempting to uh, connect to uh, an organization that's going to allow them to really uh, enter a very professional workplace which in a lot of ways has some very foreign uh, aspects to, uh, to it for them. And I just found it extremely interesting how they played with um, their own cultural identity and then their desire to connect with this sort of more um, global affluent uh, culture. And so I, I was able to see that play out a little bit in the student letters, the young people's letters, as well as the teacher's letters, because the teachers had a different perspective on um, what, what kind of a background the students were coming from uh, versus what, what they may gain from an internship in a big company with uh, working with a professional. Uh, and so, uh, so I, I, was, I met that challenge and then sort of had to grapple with how, how do I interpret um, these things that are, go, that are going on. Um, and so that's, that's really how I came to the, to the topic. Um, I, I had access to the letters and then, um, then had to decide, okay, how, how do I go about interpreting this and, and getting something meaningful out of it? Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing that development. Well, how can the University of Richmond community use this article to understand issues related to youth identity and globalization? Well, uh, globalization is this complex uh, phenomenon, right, that we, we're, we all are impacted by, and young people... Um, are, are growing up in this age of technology and intensification. 
And so the processes, the psychological processes that they deal with, um, uh, uh, essentially bridging different worlds, um, is, is, is unique, I think, to, to the younger generations. University of Richmond has a, has a, um, a big push in the, the new strategic plan to uh, incorporate uh, an embracing of diversity um, uh, and inclusion. And so with that comes an understanding of what young people are faced with in the, in the modern world. Um, uh, that uh, we, we are typically, you know, young, young people, um, and of course, uh, my generation as well, but uh, specifically young, younger generations are faced with having to juggle different identities at the same time. Um, sometimes uh, these identities are forced on them by society, by a cultural group, and then sometimes they adopt these identities, right? So through social media, we see how people sort of curate their own identity. And so it's important, if, you know, as we think about issues of diversity and inclusion, to understand what kinds of issues um, diverse groups of young people are bringing to the table um, in, in a university setting. Um, that they uh, they typically do come with a very hybrid identity, right? That um, uh, that and and they're able to switch in and out of those identities. I think often a little bit uh, more smoothly, uh, not always, but a little bit more smoothly than let's say my generation, right? That um, having multiple identities and uh, having a fluid identity um, is is sort of an understood. I think with young people. And so when you're looking at um, different socioeconomic groups, that becomes even more interesting that um, more economically disadvantaged young people then have to be able to belong to their, their home, uh, home environment, which comes with a certain set of cultural norms and standards. And that might be very different than uh, the expectations and the culture of a university. Um, uh, particularly a, a university that, uh, that is, is known as being sort of an elite university, such as the University of Richmond, um, there are sort of identity fluctuations that they have to really be able to, to cope with in order to be successful. Um, so that's, that's something that I found really interesting with this, is that these, these letters um, gave me a glimpse into that process and how that, was, how that was playing out and how do young people try to grapple with, with that. Uh, without acknowledging their own backgrounds and the values that that uh, brings, but then also acknowledging their desire to connect with these um, uh, these other cultures and these other ways of thinking and other ways of being. So, well, thank you. I think those insights can be helpful to all of us here at Richmond. How would you envision undergraduate students using the article for their study and research? Well, I, I think. Um, as a, as a qualitative researcher, um, often I'm challenged when, when teaching um, how to approach qualitative research, that there, there are often much more disparate methods uh, of approaching qualitative work and, uh, and disparate sort of theoretical frameworks to use. And so um, uh, often this is difficult to, to communicate to young, uh, young scholars that uh, there may not necessarily be one specific roadmap. Often you are faced with um, an environment, a set of data, a, a, a group of people to work with, or, um, or, or what have you, and, and then you uh, then have to sort of organically decide how to approach it. 
uh, organically decide how to organize the information that, that you were faced with and then how to interpret it. And, um, and often I think that that's, this, is, this would be an example that I would use with students to say, okay, I, I, um, I came to this information through sort of an organic way. And then after, after looking at the information, calling out the, the pieces that uh, were powerful, and then going to the, the theoretical work, uh, going to the literature and, and, and looking for uh, ways, rather than preemptively having my own uh, interpretation of it beforehand, going to the literature and saying, okay, what can the literature do to inform me about this um, and allow those, allow those um, uh, insights to kind of come, come about naturally rather than uh, myself imposing those on, on, uh, on the information. Thank you. And how do you anticipate UR students assisting you with future research on educational issues in international settings? Well, um, I continue to work with a variety of different charities and NGOs across um, the globe, particularly in Asia. And so uh, my goal over the, the next few years is to continue looking for opportunities for uh, U of R students to connect and uh, uh do either study abroad type programs or volunteerism and, um, and, and connect with these real world opportunities uh, to work with, uh, whether it's disadvantaged youth on, uh, in another part of the world like Hong Kong, uh, to be able to do some hands-on type activities. Uh, I think uh, U of R has a special commitment to that. And uh, it's evident across the campus that uh, study abroad and service learning and those, those types of activities are really an integral part of the way that uh, the U of R works, um, which is very exciting. Um, and so I hope to bring that to the table um, with young people uh, to see that um, uh, certainly um, the, the information that you learn in, in your, your university classrooms is, is useful. Uh, but then it also helps to give you more context, more perspective to get out into the field and see some of these ideas play out and question those ideas and be critical of the things you've learned in your classroom. Um, and that, that's really what a scholar is, is um, not just uh, memorizing the texts that you read in your classrooms, uh, but to uh, critically engage with them and challenge them and then uh, then if you, if you come back to the table and say, yes, what I, what I did learn in my classroom was meaningful, uh, it's even more powerful. Uh, and then if not, then you, you, you have some directions to say, well, what I learned didn't get me where I wanted to be. What do I need to do now? What, what's my trajectory um, as a scholar to, to learn about uh, these things and to dig more deeply? And our last question, what kinds of information or library sources did you use in writing this article? Well, as I mentioned, um, I, I, had, I went to the literature after gathering the data, right? And so um, uh, through, um, through online um, repositories and databases, I don't know that I would, would have been able to do uh, some of the work without, without that, because um, uh, especially remotely, right? So uh, working in Hong Kong and being able to access a university um, database of journals and, and books is, is an amazing um, resource, I think, for the modern scholar um, that uh, we, we're able to, to just go to our computer and a few key, key clicks away, um, we're, we're pulling up all sorts of, of research and, and uh, 
journal articles and these sorts of things. So, so that uh, is is really an advantage, I think. Um, uh, the the obviously the challenge then is we are faced with so much information, and so we have to be able to um, sort through it in a in a meaningful way. And so, um, uh, what I was able to do was to really connect with a a, um, a theoretical framework, a dialogical self theory which had some connections to education. Uh, but then I was able to, uh, you know, at the click of a button, um, pull up the, the primary sources and then the secondary sources criticizing. Um, and so that, was, that's, that, I think, as a scholar um, in the field, is, is, a, is an amazing thing. And it's uh, a way that makes our, our work more efficient, but also more interactive, right? Uh, instead of um, the, the glory days of having to go to the basement Right of the library and and call through the old uh, the old journals. Um, now we can see those those publications from our from our living room, uh, which is a, I think a, probably a challenge for the world of library sciences, but also probably a pretty exciting thing as well. Yes, I mean it's been amazing what people can do and what <laughs> they can use now. Well, thank you, Dr. Spires. Please note that Dr. Spire's article will be available through the UR Scholarship Repository. Thank you for listening to Podcasts at Boatwright. Your host was Lucretia McCauley. Editing and production was performed by Andy Morton. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit us on the web at library.richmond.edu.